This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Night Rangers in Minnesota to take on the Wild, looking for their seventh win in a row. Short-handed, however, as Adam Fox, they're going to have to play without him for a time. Philip Heedle as well. Jonathan Quick expected to start in net tonight. So the Rangers on that six-game winning streak after going 5-0 and on their western swing through Seattle and western Canada and then came home with an impressive win the other night against the Carolina Hurricanes, looking to keep it rolling on the road against Minnesota tonight. Talking a little bit about the Knicks after they lost last night 110-105. to By the way, it was, it was the first game of the NBA's inaugural in-season tournament. If you didn't get an opportunity to check out any of the game, you know, hopefully you were listening to Monica and me here on ESPN New York, but if you happen to check out the game on MSG or ESPN, you likely noticed the different court and all 30 NBA teams for in-season tournament games only are using specially painted, customized courts. Now, they all have generally the same look. Each court is painted from the edge of the floor to the edge of the floor, not baseline to baseline, sideline to sideline. The paint continues beyond the out-of-bounds line. And then in the center of the court, running from one baseline to the other baseline, and it is a 16-foot wide, what they're calling a runway, that is a different color, a color signifying each team's City Edition uniforms. And you'll see this at Madison Square Garden. The first in-season tournament game at home for the Knicks is on Black Friday. It's on November 24th when they take on the Miami Heat. And that night, the Knicks floor, most of the floor is going to be painted orange. So it's going to be a vastly different look. And that's what we, we saw in Milwaukee last night. The um, Most of the court was painted in their cream color, which they use as one of their colors in their alternate uniforms with a mint green colored runway. It looked really funky. And to be honest, watching some of the highlights from some of the other courts, like in Chicago, where it's like red on darker red, that looked weird. Um, Milwaukee's court, because it's a cream color, which is kind of close to a wood color, was one of the most benign designs that we had last night. It wasn't you know, totally jarring to the eye, but it was still different. Uh, it was an opportunity for the Knicks to bank a win against a really good team that's still trying to figure some things out. The Knicks got off to a slow start. They hung in there. They would be down by four, and then the Bucks would push the lead to 10. Knicks would get it down to six. Bucks would push the lead to 14. And then in the fourth quarter, Brunson... Started to take over with a little help from Emmanuel quickly, and the Knicks started to chip away from that lead. And with a minute and 10 to go, Brunson hit a three pointer, one of only two on the night for him to give the Knicks a 103 101 lead. And then after that, Damian Lillard took over. He scored the next eight points. He hit a three pointer to put the Bucks back on top. And then when Milwaukee got the ball back, Lillard took it to the basket, got an end one, so a three point play there. And then he hit two free throws. So eight points for Lillard after the Knicks had taken that two-point lead Milwaukee wins 110 to 105 so the Knicks the Knicks fall to two and four so for the Knicks this coming week it's a really big homestand because as I pointed out earlier if you look at their schedule so far Boston at Atlanta at New Orleans at Cleveland home Cleveland 
and at Milwaukee. Show me the easy game there. None of those games are easy. You know, first of all, there's not as many easy games in the NBA as there used to be because I think the talent pool is probably as deep as it's ever been, which, and this is a sidebar here, which is why I, I think we could be headed for expansion in the NBA in a couple of years because there is so much talent now distributed throughout the NBA that the thought is it could absorb two more teams and get their total number of teams to 32. But that's besides the point. That's my way of saying that there aren't as many quote-unquote easy games. But there's a few. There's still a few. You know, there's still Detroit, although they're playing well. There's still the Charlottes of the world. There's still the Houston Rockets of the world, the Portland Trailblazers. So there's winnable games out there. There's quote-unquote easy games, but not as many as they used there used to be. But this six-game stretch to begin the season for the Knicks, not a single easy game, nothing that even whiffs of an easy game. Maybe... Maybe the games against Cleveland. Not that Cleveland's an easy win, but they were missing Darius Garland, an all-star point guard. They were missing Jared Allen, an all-star center. The first game when the Knicks won in Cleveland, they were also missing Karis LeVert. So they were missing a lot. LeVert came back the next day and helped Donovan Mitchell uh, earn a split of that home-and-home between the Knicks and the Cavaliers. So not an easy mark out there at all for the Knicks. And then... You look ahead to this week. They finally come home. They haven't won yet at home. They've only played two games, Boston and Cleveland. Boston, they almost won. The Cleveland game the other night, even though Barrett didn't play, was still a disappointing loss because of how shorthanded the Cavaliers were. But now you come home and you have the Clippers on Monday. Also not an easy game. Clippers were in the playoffs last season. On Wednesday, you have the Spurs. Now, on paper, Spurs won 22 games last year. You'd say, yeah, that's an easy win. Or, excuse me, that's an easy game. That's the first one on the schedule that could be considered a quote-unquote easy game. Except for one thing. The Spurs are a lot better than people expected them to be. First and foremost, because of the phenom, the number one pick in the draft, Victor Wembanyama. It's taken him five games, and he is already a not just a factor in the NBA, the seven foot four inch center or power forward actually from France, he's a force in the NBA. And you look at the Spurs right now, and their record is three and two. So that's certainly not an easy game. And then the three game homestand wraps up with the Charlotte Hornets a week from tomorrow on November twelfth. That might be the first easy game. But you look at this homestand, and I like to look at things in chunks. I did it with the Jets earlier on. I said two weeks ago, the four-game stretch starting with the Eagles, they needed to go 3-1. and one. They're two games into that stretch. Now I have amended my statement and said they need to go 4-0. and oh, All right? Let's look at this Knicks homestand. They need to go. They absolutely, unequivocally, need to go 2-1. and one. You have to win this homestand. You've got to win two of these next three games against the Clippers, the Spurs, and the Hornets on your home floor. But it would really, really behoove you. You know, if the Knicks are going to be the kind of team that people expect them to be this season. Look, you have at the top of the conference, you have Boston, and you have Milwaukee. And the Knicks have played both of those teams tough already. They almost beat Milwaukee last night without R.J. Barrett. And they almost beat Boston on opening night. So the Knicks have proven they could play with those teams. They haven't beaten either one of them yet, but they weren't completely outclassed. The Knicks, the thought is and should be that they could be the next team in the pecking order of the Eastern Conference. Why? Well, first of all, last year they weren't that far away. 
They were fifth place in the regular season, and they won a playoff round against the fourth place team, the Cavaliers, who they've already proven they can still beat by what they did against them on Halloween night in Cleveland. The third place team last year was the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the Sixers just traded off James Harden. So they had the third best record in the conference last year, almost beat the Celtics in a seven-game series because they had the regular season MVP, Joel Embiid, and they had the NBA's assist leader in James Harden. Now, Harden's gone. He's been traded to the Clippers for future picks that are certainly going to help this franchise in the long run. As far as this year goes, it remains to be seen. Are they as good talent-wise? Did they take a little bit of a step back? Or are they in some ways better? Could there be an addition by subtraction thing going on in Philadelphia? You get rid of Harden and all of his baggage and the fact that he didn't want to be there and that was not going to be good for locker room morale. And then also Harden being out of the picture increases the role of Tyrese Maxey, who the first week of the regular season was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. So Maxey now has an opportunity to flourish in to what many feel he can be, and that's a star in this league. So you, the, the jury's very much out on Philadelphia. Are they still the third best team in the East? Do they take a half a step back? Do they take a full step back? But the point is, as it pertains to the Knicks, there is an opportunity to move into that third spot in the Eastern Conference. There's no reason why they can't be there based on what they did last season. But if you're going to be that kind of team, if you're going to be the third best team in your conference, you got to look at a week like this where you're home against the Clippers, the Spurs, and the Hornets, and you go 3-0. and If you're really that kind of team, you go 3-0. and And you get yourself back above 500. And you do that before you head back out on a five-game road trip, mostly against teams in the Eastern Conference. So that's what's ahead for the Knicks this week. The other part of it is this, and this is going to be really interesting, and of course we'll have all these games for you right here on ESPN New York. Monday night's game is Harden's first with the Clippers. He was traded early last week, hasn't played for them yet, hasn't played for anybody yet this season. He said in his press conference the other day that he's aiming to make his debut with his new team on Monday night at Madison Square Garden. And why not? And I've said this for years, by the way, with this load management issue that permeates throughout the league. And we've seen it already this year. Look, Adam Silver made rules. The NBA made rules in the offseason, making it um, punishable for stars to sit out certain games. And I swear you look at any game, any night, any schedule, any night, there's stars sitting out on a regular basis. It seems like they're missing as many, if not more, games than they have in the past. I saw New Orleans the other night. We saw New Orleans last Saturday down there, and they took it to the Knicks, and Brandon Ingram had a big game. Brandon Ingram didn't play the other night against Oklahoma City. Bradley Beal misses the first few games for the Suns. Jared Allen hasn't played yet for the Cavaliers. Devin Booker missed a game for the Suns. They got stars sitting out all over the league right now. So, um, for for the Knicks against Harden and the Clippers, against Wembenyama and the Spurs, and then against the Hornets next weekend, this is an opportunity for the Knicks to get themselves right, to get themselves back on track. Because it's a slow start. It's two and four. It's, it's nothing to get too alarmed about. Like I said, there are some concerns. I'm concerned with their depth. Especially, look, they've had one injury to R.J. Barrett, 
and it has significantly shortened their playing rotation. Okay? I'm concerned with Julius Randle. How can you not be? He's shooting 27% from the field. He's shooting 22% from three-point range. Those are concerning signs for me six games into the season. Um, last year, you had the option, and there were games, and there weren't many because Randall had a terrific season. But last year, if Randall didn't have it going, either he didn't have the proper amount of energy, his shot wasn't falling, his body language seemed off, and that happens. That happens for a lot of players, and, and that certainly happens for Randall. Randall doesn't always have the best body language. Plays hard, but wears his emotions on his sleeve a lot. And, and a lot of times you can tell when something's bothering him. Last year in those situations where maybe it was affecting his play, Tom Thibodeau had the option of putting Obi Toppin into the game just to kind of change up the energy on the court. You know, Toppin played the same position as Randall, but a, a vastly different player. You know, Randall is the bull in the china shop, strong, good outside shooter when his shot is falling, bulls his way to the basket, whereas Toppin is, you know, energy, athleticism, getting out on the fast break, running up and down the floor, maybe knocking down a three-point shot or two. And the Knicks had that option last year if they ever needed to change things up, if Randall was having a tough game. And this is where I talk about the depth. The Knicks do not have that this year. They don't have that guy. They, they right now, the way their roster is constructed, they're ride or die with Julius Randle. There's no alternative for Randle. There's no, hey, he's having an off night. Let's throw this other guy in here for five minutes and see if we could change up the chemistry or change up the energy on the court. They don't have that right now. You know, Randle plays 35, 38 minutes a game, and the 10 to 12 minutes a game that he doesn't play, they patch that together with Josh Hart, a six foot four inch power forward. With R.J. Barrett when he's healthy, and by the way, he's not healthy right now. So you're kind of, you know, stuck isn't the right word because I do think that Randall is going to come out of this stretch right now where his shot just isn't falling. I mean, if you look at the other things, Randall's he's got double-doubles in five of the first six games. He's averaging a double-double so far this season. His assist numbers are still strong for a power forward. Here's the thing that Randall needs to do. When his shot isn't falling, he needs to do a better job of letting the game come to him. It seems like it seemed like this last night. Last night he started off slowly again. Then late first quarter, early second quarter, he started to hit a couple of shots. He got himself to the free throw line, started to knock down a couple of field goals, and you thought, okay, this could be the start of something. And then he got cold again. And at the end of the first half, the Knicks had a chance. I think they were down. They ended up being down by 10 at halftime. They were down by six on a couple of occasions and a chance to cut it to four, a chance to cut it to three. And Randall would dribble the ball and dribble the ball and dribble the ball and hold on to the ball and force up contested shots that probably weren't the best shots that the Knicks could get on those specific possessions. I've seen Randall and we've seen Randall let the game come to him before. A great example of this is last year in the fifth game against Cleveland, the final playoff game, the Knicks won. They closed out the series four games to one. Randall, he was coming off the sprained ankle at the start of the series and was never fully healthy in that series. And his play suffered as a result of it. I mean, he gutted it out as he usually does. He played every game, 
but the numbers weren't there. The shooting wasn't there. He was hurt. He was compromised. In that last game, with him struggling offensively, he became a distributor for the Knicks offense. And it was really one of the best halves of basketball that he's played as a Nick. And that helped swing that game in the Knicks' favor. And they ended up going on and winning that game rather handily. Unfortunately for Randall, at the very end of the first half, he re-sprained the ankle and was lost for the rest of that game five. And that ended up costing him game one of the next series against Miami, which the Knicks lost at home. Randall needs to do that now. He's of the mind, it seems, that he's going to shoot his way out of this slump as opposed to let the game come to him. He's a really good passer. I mean, this is a guy who's averaged six assists a game over the course of a season. He's one of the better passing power forwards in the NBA. And we've seen him at times, um, his passing ability really leading to good possessions and good scoring chances for the Knicks while letting the game come to him and picking his spots for his own shot when they're there and when it's appropriate. And unfortunately right now, that's not the approach that he's taking. And I think that's a type of approach that would suit him well in this situation. You, you don't expect Randall, all NBA, two of the last three years, to shoot 27% over the course of the season, or 22% from downtown. But don't force it, because the more you force it, and if it doesn't happen right away, and you don't see those immediate results right away, then you can dig yourself into a little bit of a deeper mental hole. And that's that's what's plaguing Julius Randle right now. So despite that, the Knicks, yeah, 2-4, and four, but chance to win against Boston and a really good chance to win last night in Milwaukee, which would have been a terrific victory before Damian Lillard scored eight straight points and the Bucks won that game 110 to 105. So 1-800-919-3776, uh, your, your thoughts on the Knicks or the in-season tournament. I'm, I'm interested to find out if there's any reaction at all to the in-season tournament. If there is reaction, is it positive, is it negative, or you A, didn't care, or B, didn't even notice that it was the in-season tournament. Look, my, my, my thoughts, and I've said this before, it's going to take time. And I, don't, I can't sit here and guarantee that fans are going to be into this ever. But if they are going to get into it, and if this does turn out to be a success, it's not going to happen overnight. It's certainly not. A lot of it also is going to depend on what matchups they get in the quarterfinals and what matchups they get in the semifinals in Las Vegas in early December. So thoughts on all of that, plus we'll touch on the football a little bit more as well. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Uh, yeah, they're 2-4 and four right now with a three-game homestand. The Clippers on Monday and the Spurs on Wednesday. And then they get a few days off before they host the Hornets on Sunday. And then game number 10 is on Monday night in Boston. So if you look at those first 10 games, you, you don't want to come out of that any worse than 4-6. and six. You know, 5-5 five and five I think would be just fine. It's a very, very difficult stretch. And there are a lot of games coming up against the Charlottes and the Washingtons and the Houstons of the world. And the fact that San Antonio, because of Victor Wembenyama, is better than 
people expected them to be this early into the season throws a little bit of a wrinkle into this week. So does the James Harden thing on Monday with the Clippers. Now, that could go one way or the other. It takes time for star players to integrate into new teams. However, if you look back through history, there's a tendency for the first time out when everybody, nobody's thinking about it, everybody's playing selfless basketball, the first time out, it tends to be pretty good. Even Lillard and Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee, they're having their problems right now, last night notwithstanding. They're 3-2, and two, but coming into last night's game, they were a mess. But even those two guys, their first game of the season, Lillard came in, scored 39 points. They beat the 76ers in their first game of the season. Harden, we saw this in Brooklyn a couple of years ago. He came to the Nets from the Rockets his first game where he was thought to be out of shape and he hadn't played basketball in a few weeks. His first game, I think it was I think it was a Saturday night in Orlando. In his first game, he had a triple-double. He's a fantastic passer. Um, he's led the NBA in assists last season, but he can be a selfless player when need be. So I expect to, unfortunately for the Knicks see that version of James Harden on Monday at the Garden. Now, over time, given James Harden's history and his track record, there will be some chemistry issues playing with Paul George, with Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook. And the other part of that is how many games are that group of players actually going to play with each other, given their injury history, especially Paul George and especially Kawhi Leonard. But on Monday night, his wanting to make a good impression with his new team in that building. Remember, Harden, a few years back, nearly broke the Madison Square Garden single-game scoring record. He had 61 points when he was with the Rockets. Carmelo still has the record of 62. Harden came dangerously close to stealing that record, to breaking that record that still belongs to Carmelo Anthony. So he, like many others, loved to perform in the Garden stage. And the point I started to make before I got sidetracked, and I've made this point several times in the past. With players resting and load management, nobody rests. Nobody does load management at Madison Square Garden. A lot of teams come to New York. While you're in New York City, you play the Knicks, you play the Nets. If you're an older player, if you're a star player, if you're a somewhat injured player, if you're a player who, for whatever reason, needs to take a game off, nobody chooses to play at Barclays Center and take the game off at Madison Square Garden because nobody cares about playing at Barclays Center. Nobody cares about Barclays Center. It's not center stage. It's not a marquee building. It's a building. It's an NBA building that is occupied by a solid NBA team in the Brooklyn Nets. It's not Madison Square Garden. And that works against the Knicks. You know, nobody ever, if they're iffy, if, if, if you could play, you play at the Garden. You play in front of Tracy Morgan. You play in front of Fat Joe. You know, you play in front of all the other celebrities. And then you take the next game off when you go to Barclays Center. So unfortunately for the Knicks, that works against them a lot also. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones. George on the Lower East Side. Hey, George. Hey, good afternoon. What's going on, y'all? So I just got to say, you play in front of all the other celebrities. Um, I'm thinking right now with the need of a four right now, I think someone like Marcus Morris would be great. Um, you just mentioned, you know, mentioned another name that I think would love to come to the, to the Knicks, and I know that he's retired, but 
Carmelo Anthony playing the three and the four and just being a part of the organization and the agency um, just to help after he does fully retire. But I think he still has some um, fuel in his tank, and I think he would be great for us when, when uh, Randall is on the bench. But Marcus Morris is somebody that I would love to have back. Um, I think he can help us at the four. He need, we need that grit. He brings that grit at that position, and I think that's somebody we need to focus on. I don't know what Morris has left in the tank, George, but I don't hate the idea, and thanks for the call. Carmelo Anthony, love Carmelo. And you know what? After, I'm not going to call it a love-hate relationship, but Carmelo, for a player of his stature, as stars tend to do in this town when they play for teams that don't win, they tend to get more blame than they deserve. And that is certainly true. That was certainly true of Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo's been at the Garden now, I think, for both home games this season. He's been fully reintegrated into the franchise. Not that he was ever estranged, but, you know, the Knicks traded him away to Oklahoma City. He bounced around. He played there. He played for the Lakers. He played for the Trailblazers. And then his career finally came to an end officially last season. And now he's back in the fold. And it's great to see because for a seven-year stretch, he was one of the, for those seven years, he was one of the best Knicks of all time. And he's enjoying that role right now. You know, you're seeing something similar, and I'm not comparing the two athletes in this town, so please don't put words in my mouth. You're seeing something similar now with Derek Jeter. You know, Jeter retired. They retired his number, and then he just went away. And then he was running the Miami Marlins for a few years. That ended. And over the last year and a half, Jeter has come back big time into the fold for the Yankees. And, and, and it's good. And there's something that's right about that. You know, Jeter should be around Yankee Stadium. He should be, um, you know, a, a presence there just to make fans feel good and remember those days. And, and same with Carmelo Anthony. It's not on the same level, right? Uh, Carmelo didn't win anything here. He won a playoff series. That was it. All right, but he he won an NBA scoring title. He won a division title, and he was the best player on the Knicks for seven years, and that's that's significant. That is not insignificant. He was the best player on the Knicks in Madison Square Garden for a seven-year stretch, and he deserves the treatment that he's getting right now, and the treatment is he's become now a beloved figure. The, the relationship from the fans towards Carmelo has swung back the other way, in the positive direction now. You know, bygones be bygones. Nobody's thinking about him uh, being the leading scorer on teams that didn't win enough games. That's, that's over. All you remember is this guy played here for seven years. He was the best player on the team for seven years. He's now moved into another phase of his life and his career, and there's an appreciation for that. As far as Carmelo Anthony coming back to play, I don't think he has anything left in the tank. I, I, I think the ship has sailed on that. I don't know what Marcus Morris has left in the tank. You know, Morris was with Randall, Randall's first year as a Nick. It seems like forever ago because that was the season right before COVID. But Morris, if you look back, Marcus Morris actually led the Knicks in scoring in 2019-2020. He was really good for the Knicks. He was something like 40-plus percent from three-point range. The Knicks traded him to the Clippers for a late first-round pick, and I believe that pick ended up being either Quinton Grimes or Emmanuel Quickly. They picked both of those guys back-to-back years at number 25 overall, and I think the Marcus Morris trade led to the Knicks selecting one of those two very important players late in the first round. I don't know what Marcus Morris has left in the tank. He didn't... Um, have a role with the Clippers before he was traded. He's back with the 76ers. 
And if he does have anything left in the tank, I can't see Daryl Morey just guiding him towards a team in his own division that he's going to be in direct competition with this season. We'll have thoughts on the upcoming homestand for the Knicks. Wednesday night's going to be interesting with Wembenyama coming to town. I mean, this guy is better than advertised is pretty strong because he was advertised pretty highly. He's been impressive so far. And more thoughts on week nine in the NFL. Pat O'Keefe with you on ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. When, when, when the Spurs win a draft lottery, they do it right because they've won it three times. And the first time they won it, David Robinson was the prize. The second time they won it, Tim Duncan was the prize. And the third time they won it, Victor Wembenyama was the prize. You know, there's no Michael Olawakandis or Kwame Browns or Andrea Bargnani's in that group. You know, when the Spurs bottom out and they go to the top of the draft, they go big. So listen, next time there's a generational player available, look at what the Spurs are doing leading up to that draft. But you figured 7'4", 19 years old, international player without any experience virtually over here in this country. It was going to take time for Wembenyama to really kind of feel his way around the NBA. Well, it took five games <laughs> because what a week he and the and the uh, Spurs had. They, they had back-to-back games in Phoenix against the Suns on Tuesday and Thursday. And Tuesday's game, Phoenix had the game won in the closing seconds and then a furious rally by the Spurs that was punctuated with Kevin Durant – for Phoenix basically handing the ball over to the de- defense of the San Antonio Spurs and going in for the game-winning basket. It was it was a play that a fourth-grade CYO player should be embarrassed to make. And this was made by Kevin Durant. Now, I'm not sure after the game if Kevin Durant had requested or demanded a trade from Phoenix in the aftermath of that disappointing loss. I haven't heard yet. What I do know is that they played again two nights later, and you figure brutal loss. Suns are an NBA championship contender. This is going to be a revenge game. Wembenyama came out and scored 38 points. 38 points in his fifth NBA game in 34 minutes. Grabbed 10 rebounds, blocked two shots, had a steal, he's arrived. And he's going to arrive at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday night with a team that is rapidly, rapidly improving. And, of course, the Spurs are still coached by one of the best to ever do it. Greg Popovich spoke about Wembenyama after his career-high 38. He's a multifaceted player. I mean, he'll pass it to the open guy. But, you know, he, he's got confidence in himself. And, you know, he made some plays that were, you know, unbelievable. So that combination is pretty good if you're, you have that skill and you're still willing to pass. Let's hear from Kevin Durant on Wembenyama. Yeah, I don't see anybody else in this game. Uh, I mean, I know he's, and we, both, we both skinny, and I'm sure he said he watched me growing up, but he's, a, he's his own player. I don't think he, uh, I'm sure he watched so many great players in the league and tried to emulate just about everybody. Um, 
his enthusiasm for the game. You know, you could tell that through the TV and playing against him. So he's his own player, player person. He's going to create his own lane. It's much different than anybody who's ever played. So who are the Spurs? If you're the Knicks, if you're a Knicks fan, you're looking at their schedule at the beginning of the season, you're looking for a soft landing spot. The first place your eyes probably went was Wednesday's game, November 8th against the Spurs. But they're 3-2 and two right now. They've got the number one pick in the draft, coming off a 38-point performance. He was a plus 21, by the way, in the 34 minutes that he played. So that's no longer a soft landing spot, and the team around him is winning. They're 3-2, and two, and they just beat one of the favorites in the Western Conference on the road in back-to-back games. So that's the week that lies ahead for the Knicks. So it's a really, really important week. You've got to go at least 2-1 and one because... You go two and one. If if you lose to the Clippers on Monday, now you're two and five, and now Wembenyama is coming to the Garden, okay? And then you still have the homestand wrapping up on Sunday against Charlotte, and then you go back to back days home against Charlotte, go to Boston and play against the Celtics there the following night. And like I said, you don't want to be three and seven after these first ten games. You can live. You can live with four and six. I think you would sign right now for five and five. I think if you're a Knicks fan, you'd sign right now for five and five. Sitting here today at two and four. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Let's go to Mitch in East Windsor. Hey, Mitch. How's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Yep. What's going on? Imagine if Victor has some muscle. We could put some weight and more mu- and and muscle, man. It's sky's the limit, literally. Well, that'll come. I mean, you know, look, look at any NBA player now compared to when they came in the league. They they all put on weight. They all put on muscle. Will Chamberlain be looking up to this guy? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, that was some trade with the Clippers. It's do or die. I mean, all they're missing is uh, Kevin Durant and uh, the, the LA uh, Thunder. But they had, I guess, they, they had to make this trade. Even though Harden, he's a bit of a quitter. Uh, how many times? You know, I never seem happy. So I hope they can put it together, kind of like you know, like Texas Rangers winning. And the Sixers got some uh, backcourt now. Maxie a, is a button superstar, and DeAnthony Melton doesn't get enough uh, credit. He plays good. The is a hybrid. All he has to do is improve his, his uh, shooting. So it's a tough division. And um, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for the call, Mitch. Maxie, if, if for me, it's a little too early to call him a budding superstar because I need to see it more. Maybe that's in there. He's gotten better every year. He's been in the NBA. And this this trade, first of all, this trade had to be made. James Harden was toxic in Philadelphia. He wanted out. He called the team president a liar. He called him a liar a second time, just in case you didn't hear it the first time. He had, he had to go. He went away from the team for about a week in the preseason, just left, and then came back. They kicked him off the plane. Like the whole thing. He had to go. All right, so that's number one. Number two, though, it's a bet by not getting a quote-unquote star back. Now, they got future assets that they could potentially turn into a star via trade with another team. But by not getting a star back, this is a bet on Tyrese Maxey becoming a star. You know, he's a 20-point-per-game guy last year. He's got an opportunity to play off the reigning MVP. If Embiid can stay healthy, that's not a bad guy to play off of. And that's something that certainly bears watching if you're the Knicks, because if you're the Knicks, you know, 
The teams that you need to keep an eye on, the Cavs, obviously. We've seen them twice if you're the Knicks. Um, the 76ers, the Atlanta Hawks, who you've already seen, the Toronto Raptors. Those are the teams you need to keep an eye on. But pertaining to the Knicks, you got to take care of yourself first. And, and there's, like I've pointed out, a couple of red flags, a couple of concerns with this team, most notably Julius Randle and his early season play shooting 27% from the field, shooting 22% on three-point attempts, and shooting a lot of them. Like last night, he took 20 shots in a big game like that where you had a chance to go on the road and have a great win against a top team. Randall was trying to shoot himself out of his early season shooting woes, and I don't think that was the forum for him to do that last night. I would have liked to have seen Randall have been more of a distributor to guys like Grimes, guys like Quickly. Look, Brunson's always going to get his own shot. And there was a point yesterday in the second half where Brunson basically made the decision, I'm just driving to the basket every single time. I'm going to find an open spot to pop from, and I'm going to keep my team in the game. And that's exactly what he did. He scored 45 points. I mean, Brunson is the last – he's incredible. The last two games that the Knicks have played against the Bucks. Brunson scored 45 last night. The previous time, he scored 44. He's just an unbelievable player. But last night, if you watched that game, what it reminded me of, it reminded me of the final game of the Knicks season last year, game six in Miami, when Brunson went for 41. And he single-handedly kept the Knicks in that game. But he had very little help in that game in which the Knicks were ultimately eliminated. Randall didn't have a great game. Barrett didn't have a great game. Quickly was hurt. It was basically Jalen Brunson out there by himself, and as good as he is, that's not enough. And right now, same thing. With Randall struggling, with Barrett out, as good as Jalen Brunson is, this team isn't constructed for them to have a high level of success with only Jalen Brunson clicking on all cylinders. All right, some more thoughts on this. Also, we'll swing it back to the NFL. We'll go back to the Jets' huge game on Monday night against the L.A. Chargers. And which recent season is starting to remind me of the season the Jets are having this year? It's Pat O'Keefe with you for another hour and change till 6 o'clock on 98.7 ESPN New York. A couple of roster moves for the Giants. The Giants are, remember, Graham Gano is out. He was injured when Brian Dayball Neglected to try and end the game on fourth and one last week, electing to have Gano attempt a field goal in wet conditions, which we know what happened. Gano missed. Jets got the ball back. Zach Wilson made a couple of plays. Zerline's field goal. Jets win it in overtime. Uh, Graham Gano is out. The Giants, according to Jordan Ronan, are elevating Randy Bullock from the practice squad per a source. Um, so... Cade York is also still in the mix. He's also still on the 53-man roster. They've brought in Bullock and York to compete for the kicker spot. So as of now, they're both on the 53-man roster. Giants have also signed tight end Lawrence Cager to the active roster and outside linebacker Justin Hollins. Now, why Lawrence Cager? Well, because Darren Waller, along with Tyrod Taylor have both been placed on injured reserves. So they have to miss the next four games. So neither Taylor 
which isn't as big a deal if Daniel Jones is healthy and able to play. But Waller is. Neither of them are able to return until the Giants have already gone through their bye week. So the next time we could see Waller or Tyrod Taylor is on Monday, December 11th, when the Giants take on Green Bay. So Waller will miss the Raiders game, the Cowboys game, the Commanders game, and the Patriots game. And that brings me to the Giants. Because for all intents and purposes, their season ended last week with Brian Dayball's feeble coaching decisions down the stretch of that game. You had a chance to get back to 3-5. and five. You had a chance to pick up an improbable win against a solid team and a really, really good defense because you've got a really good defense right now. And, and you threw it away. And you threw it away with two hands. And you threw it away in spectacular fashion. Okay? Now you're sitting there at 2-6. and six, So for all intents and purposes, your season is over if you're the Giants. But is it? Yeah, that's right. I said that. Is it? Is their season actually over? Because when you're analyzing these schedules and you're analyzing these seasons, you can't do it in a vacuum. You can't say this team is 2-6. and six. They're... They're done. They're they're obviously not mathematically eliminated. No one is mathematically eliminated after playing only eight games. And the reason why I'm not prepared yet to, you know, throw dirt over this giant season is what I just said while reading that tweet from Jordan Runon when he listed the games that Waller and Tyrod Taylor are going to miss, the next four games. And that would be the Raiders at the Cowboys at the Commanders and then home against the Patriots. Because why can't the Giants against those four teams go 3-1? and one? I mean, the Raiders are an absolute nightmare right now and an absolute mess. They've got Antonio Pierce, who's never sniffed being a head coach and woke up this week as an assistant coach, all of a sudden elevated to the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. They're in complete upheaval. All right, you go to Dallas. That's a loss. I'm not going out on a limb by saying that right now. But the Commanders, you've already beaten, and they were the biggest sellers at the trade deadline. And then the Patriots are one of the worst offenses in the NFL. So you look at that, and, and I'll take it a step further. Then you have the Packers coming into MetLife Stadium on that Monday night, December 11th. And the reason why I'm even entertaining this conversation, the reason why I entertained this conversation when the Giants were 1-5 was because of what they have been doing on the defensive side of the ball. Their defense, the last three weeks, ever since the Dolphins game, when they lost 31-16 to and Tyreek Hill and Asham ran all over the field down in Miami. What the Giants' defense did against the Bills in a loss against the Commanders and against the Jets tells me that this is not a team with this schedule that I can count out yet. I'm just not comfortable in doing it. If we get through these four games and the Giants go 2-2 two and two in these four games and four weeks from now they're 4-8, and eight, then yeah, okay, then you're too late in the season to really make a serious run. But right now, right now at 2-6, and six, with those next five games, Raiders, Cowboys, Commanders, Patriots, Packers, and the way that 
Wink Martindale's defense has been playing and the way that Kayvon Thibodeau has been playing, I'm not ready to throw dirt on this giant season yet. Call me crazy. That's just how I feel. More thoughts on that next on ESPN New York.